Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Let's Kill Twitter, the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Let's Kill Twitter is recorded live and on Zoom and this week's guests were the comedians Tony Cowards and Rachel Krieger. Topics covered in this programme included Margaret Thatcher's leadership skills versus Boris Johnson's, GB News announcing their roster of comedians for their paper review show Headliners, and you'll see why that's very particular to Let's Kill Twitter, Jack Monroe on food poverty, and finally, what author would you resurrect to write another book? We hope you enjoy the show. Please follow us on Twitter at LKTZoom. Hello, good evening and welcome. It's Sunday night, it's eight o'clock, and you're watching Let's Kill Twitter with me, Julian Hall. This is a show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. And that is no mean feat, but fortunately I never have to do that alone. And tonight I will be doing that with the help of two fantastic guests, the comedians Tony Cowards and Rachel Krieger. But before I introduce everyone, I will just uh, go through a little bit of admin. Uh, you may have noticed already that my co-host, Sajila Kershey, is not with me tonight. She is once again gainfully employed elsewhere. And uh, the new hat that she is wearing uh, will be uh, dis under discussion in a tweet later. So looking forward to that. Uh, meanwhile, just to say that we are tweeting, uh, we're not tweeting, we are streaming across YouTube, Facebook and Twitch. So take your pick there. But crucially, please do hit subscribe on YouTube. And of course, please follow us on Twitter at LKTZoom. That's where you can exclusively interact with the show tonight as we're live with questions, comments, and so forth. And the rest of the time, we'll be putting out clips of the show, news of the next show, and also just generally curating as interesting a selection of tweets as possible. Uh, just to quickly say that we will be uh, not, we won't be live uh, next week. We won't be having a show next week, but we will be live at the Bill Murray on Sunday, the 6th of February. We're doing a double bill with Comics Solving Problems. That's Eric McElroy and Steve N. Allen. And that runs between 4.30 and 6.30 at the Bill Murray in Islington in London. Uh, I will, of course, remind you all of that at the end of the show. Uh, but without too much further ado, uh, I'd now like to play Hype Man to both my fantastic guests this evening before I get them into the Zoom room and introduce Tony and Rachel. Tony Cowards is a rapid fire gag merchant, a comedy circuit favourite and a Twitter sensation. Credits include Watson's Wind Up for BBC Radio Scotland, Newsjack for BBC Seven, and he's also the chief comedy writer for Bristol-based Jack FM. In 2008, he co-scripted a series of popular Christmas podcasts featuring Tony Blackburn, Christopher Biggins and Leslie Joseph, a reality show waiting to happen. And he regularly contributes to the satirical news website, The Daily Mash, and to Mark Watson's football site, Back of the Net. Meanwhile, Tony's taken a number of acclaimed hour-long shows to the Edinburgh Fringe, including Festival of Football 1 and 2, and the show Everyman. Rachel Krieger is a multi-award winning stand-up comedian, writer, director and broadcaster, and the only practicing Orthodox Jewish woman on the mainstream UK comedy circuit. She's the co-host of the chat show podcast, Jew Talking to Me, and resident MC for Comedy Upstairs at the Adam and Eve, a long established new material night for professional comics. Rachel's perhaps best known for her award-winning stand-up show, It's No Job for a Nice Jewish Girl, and the critically acclaimed Hinani, hope I pronounced that correctly, a skilled improviser, Rachel is also part of the rotating cast of This Is Your Trial, Comedy Auction, and the festival cult hit, 
the complete history of pop in an hour. Her broadcast credits include appearances on BBC One, Next Up Comedy, Radios 2, 4, 5 Live, BBC Radio London, BBC Three Counties Radio and Radio Essex. And before I end up sounding like a BBC announcer, please welcome to the Zoom room, Tony Cowards and Rachel Krieger. Hello. 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 <laughs> I got quite exhausted by the credit section now. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to big yourself up when you can. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. Goodness me. So how, how are you both? Who wants to go first? Let's do in alphabetical order, which is cowards before Krieger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, bear enough. It's not too bad. It's been a weird kind of 18 months, two years, isn't it? But yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. That's quite a mega achievement. Uh, I mean, actually, one of the tweets tonight is uh, is from Alice Fraser about what it feels to be like on the comedy circuit at the moment, uh, which uh, I'm getting the sense, obviously, from that tweet, the word is precarious. But as we enter a phase of whatever this next phase is, I mean, has it got better, Rachel? I mean, yes, this week and maybe no next week. That's really the deal at the moment. Like I've had no gigs for days and then this week I'm really busy and I'm making a big fuss about it. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It's feast or famine, I think, at the moment. So stuff's still being, still being cancelled then, I presume, yeah. Yeah, or maybe yeah. they're just not booking me. I mean, there's, that's the other <laughs> option. <laughs> Well, no, fair dues, fair dues. I mean, so what, I mean, are you sort of, are you both thinking, we just had a little chat in the green rooms that were about Edinburgh, are you both thinking about the Fringe this year? I Tony, mean, are you thinking about going back? Um, kind of considering it, but it's very difficult, um, obviously, with family life and trying to squeeze it in. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be averse to going back. It sounded like, in a weird way, it was the people that did actually go up last year had a very successful and fun time of it although it was on a much smaller scale, obviously, than normal. But, yeah, it sounded like everyone had quite a lot of fun, more more so than perhaps in a normal year. <laughs> yeah, that ship sailed now, but it did seem like that, I must admit. Yeah. It definitely did have that vibe. I mean, I'm hoping to go this year. I've got an offer, a free fringe um, offer, and that is the current plan. But who knows what... I don't know the Greek alphabet, so I don't know if there's another wave of something with another name or what else <laughs> could go wrong. Maybe the murder hornets will arrive or whatever's the next thing, the zombie apocalypse. But, you know, all things being equal, but I've got much older kids, so it's slightly less complicated, I think. I think the murder hornets are a sketch group, aren't they? But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they want to the on the fringe. Yeah. So what about um, what about your the life online now? Rachel, you uh, we were sort of uh, sort of prepping for the show. You were sort of talking quite a lot about your experience with with Twitter, which sounds like it's it's had a few ups and downs, really. I mean, just want to sort of sketch that in a bit and and what your relationship with Twitter is compared to maybe some of the other social media platforms as well. Um. I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter because I think it's very direct. Like, you can get to people straight away, and that's amazing, and also the absolutely worst thing about it. <laughs> and, I've like, I've made some actual real-life friends from people who've been introduced to me on Twitter, who I've met up with, or whatever. It's, like, a miraculous thing. And I feel the same way about Facebook and, and WhatsApp and all those things because my best friend, who I grew up with, she lives in America, and before we had social media, you know, you'd wait till there was a really important important thing you had to share with the other person or maybe it was their birthday and then you plan a call and all of that and now like I know what she's had for breakfast she knows if I've shouted at my kids like all the things that if we still lived around the corner to each other like when we were children like we know all that stuff so that's incredible but um 
the being an out Jew in the way that I am, I've had a lot of interesting uh, moments with anti-Semitism on social media, more on Twitter than on mm. other forms. Um, I've had the odd death threat on Facebook, which is always a pleasure. Um, but uh, Twitter tends to be people telling me um, that I'm doing terrible things. And my favourite one, which I think I sent to you, was that I'm like, I've stolen Christmas from British Christians by performing um, as I was the host of a big event called Hanukkah in the Square for a couple of years, which got curtailed by uh, someone ate a bat and a thing happened. So up till then, a couple of years before that, I was the host of this big event in Trafalgar Square, which um, brought together anyone who wanted to come. So while it was a Jewish Hanukkah party and there were um, bands and there were different performers and there was me doing bits of stand up in between and whatever, it was incredible. Free donuts, all kinds of workshops. Anyone could come to it. It's Trafalgar Square, belongs to everyone. But I did have like a run of people telling me that um, myself and the other people involved, we were stealing Christmas from the good old British <laughs> Christians. I mean, it's Trafalgar Square, not Wenceslas Square, is it? I mean, what's going on? That's really weird. And the Very tree was odd. still up. The lights are still up. The Christmas market's still there. If you would have wanted to come in and sing carols under that tree while I was doing my set, I mean, rude, obviously, but <laughs> you'd have got free donuts for doing it. Like, there's no... It's, and someone said to me, actually, what if every faith decided they were going to have one day a year of doing a massive event in Trafalgar Square? What would that do to London? I was like, are they giving away free foods? Because, like, that's amazing. <laughs> you have to have separate sort of denominational busking sort of sections or something. I don't know. Honestly. Uh, that's Martin, our uh, super fan of the show. Martin is very enticed by the mention of donuts there. Oh. Um, so, Tony, uh, it's interesting to hear that your death threat was on Facebook rather than Twitter. Uh, quite yeah. often, uh, that's one nil to Twitter. I thought that would be the other way around, really. Well, I've had but, other hate, but, you know, the, yeah. the actual death threat, that, that, was, that was Facebook. So, Tony, I mean, in terms of the, the sort of the gagsmith that you are, Twitter um, probably does um, play to that strength. But I sometimes get the impression, uh, sort of looking at what you do across Facebook and Twitter, that you, I don't know if you're more, are you more comfortable with Facebook than you are Twitter, or are they pretty broadly much the same? Um, I've always used them for slightly different purposes. Facebook tends to be my more kind of, um, you get more of me, to be honest, on Facebook. Um, because I have family and friends that are also on there. Um, so I tend to share a bit more of what I'm up to. I use that a bit more to promote gigs and tell people where I'm going to be. Whereas Twitter, Twitter, I purely got on Twitter originally just to, to write jokes on there because I thought it'd be a good practice for writing one-liners, being limited to 140 characters as you were then. 100, yeah, 140, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. that's right, was, yeah. So you had to be really succinct and get to the punchline. So it was good practice for writing jokes. So that's what I used to use Twitter almost exclusively for um, and so yeah so Facebook's a bit more kind of perhaps a bit more slightly more personal for me and I, I tend not to be particularly political or anything on Twitter although that's changed a little bit with the way things have gone <laughs> yeah. in the world I've found that I can't quite sit on the fence as much as I used to on Twitter um, whereas Facebook I tended to be a bit more open about which way I was leaning um, on events and political views and that sort of thing. Did you find that when the, when it did go to 280 characters, I mean, it doesn't have to impact upon what you did. Was that helpful? Or did you just sort of tend to restrict yourself to expressing yourself in 140? I'll be honest with you, I, can't, I, don't, I never even noticed it. I don't even know at the moment whether I can do 280 or 140. I presume I can do 280 because I presume everyone can. But, yeah, I can't say I really noticed it. So, um, Is there... 
Is yeah, there maybe a moment? my one-liners have got a bit more waffly. I'm not sure. Without me. <laughs> <laughs> have you got a kind of uh, a sort of standout Twitter moment um, for you? And, and that could be anything, really. That's a viral su success or just a kind of interaction that's stuck with you. Well, I mean, there's there's one of my jokes that I might sort of go into in a minute. But one of the things that Rachel was saying uh, kind of stood out for me was because how you meet people. Facebook tends to be people I already know that I connect with on Facebook, whereas Twitter, I've actually met people through Twitter. And most notably, of course, my um, my girlfriend, Willow, who we we got sort of followed each other on Twitter. And that's how we originally sort of got to know each other. God, so that's suppose, amazing. I'd, I'd probably be shot if I didn't say that was quite a seminal moment. <laughs> 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 yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and I mean, joke-wise, I, I, this is terrible. Isn't it? I can't even remember my jokes, but there's been a couple of jokes that have kind of done really well i mean the one that I've, I've i've pinned at the top of my to my uh twitter if you'll just indulge me i'll have yes, to read it out yeah. i don't do it live but it's basically it's, oh we're going to put it up there there you go yeah there we go. i don't even have to read it now i can read it off the screen there you go the trouble with getting a job in bomb disposal nowadays is that it's all about ticking boxes there we go i love your tweets by the way and often oh, you, express that by clicking on them <laughs> Brilliant. Let's let's just put your for balance, Rachel. Let's just put yours up as well. <laughs> there we go. We do that at the end of the show anyway. But um, no, that's and that's great stuff. Did um, so what was my next question? The, the standout sort of Twitter moment, but um, and and getting more political, obviously, uh, is something that's it, yeah does seem sort of quite inevitable, really. Yeah. Um. So I'm just thinking. Yeah, we should probably dive in. Actually, I had one more question on the tip of my mind but I might come to it later because you've both selected uh, a fascinating uh, selection here so let's let's wade in now I'm wondering let's have a look where to start on the well actually look let's start with Alice Fraser's tweet because I did just reference it um very recently oh hang on I seem to have set off my own Alexa Alexa stop that's just because of Alice that's unbelievable uh, that's just that's Alexa's the only person I talk to all day, really. So she'll be feeling quite miffed now. So Alice's tweet. So uh, this was yours, Rachel, wasn't it? Do you want yeah. do you want to sort of read it out and we'll get into it? Okay. Being a live performer right now feels a bit like being a moth hovering in front of a flickering light. Is it on? Is it off? Is it going to kill me? And that is exactly how I feel about my job. <laughs> so this is again the sort of the, the precarious thing. And then this is obviously a tweet. This is a current tweet just from a couple of days ago. And uh, I mean, it, it, how's it felt? Look, what percentage normal are, are we at uh, in terms of audiences, do you think? It's so weird. I went, I've been to a couple of local gigs to me, actually, the last, uh, the last two weeks. One I was performing at and one I just went to support. And they were both absolutely rammed to the mm -hmm. gills. And um, I think people are so excited about being able to go out. It, I mean, it is very exciting. I'm excited about being able to go out. But I'm still a mask wearer and I seem to be further and further in the minority, even before the announcements of last week. And when I went to it was my first big gig back after uh, the long Christmas break that started for us around November. And it was, as I say, very packed room. And 
I couldn't get over the fact there were only about three or four people with masks on in the audience and I was going to have to stand in front of them all directing their breath and their germs at me and I was quite anxious about it but at the same time I was on a massive high from just being able to go and tell jokes to human beings and not my family who aren't that interested uh, in hearing for the millionth time my hilarious hot takes on anything so it was like such a conflicting emotion it was like is it we get kept getting messages that it might be cancelled it might not be cancelled then it was on and I got there then there were all the people there were like six people then it was like 60 people and then I was at the back of the room and then had to take off my mask and go and stand in front of them all I stood quite far back and it's just those mixed feelings I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is and I don't know how long it will be before anything stabilizes but um yeah it felt like I didn't know if, if I was being excessive in my anxiety or perhaps not anxious enough it's a tricky balance I've got to say I mean um it, I mean it does seem that when we lost that kind of muscle memory of wearing masks uh in the months in the sort of hiatus months uh, where there were no restrictions till we went back to sort of plan B, then, you know, a lot of people actually did sort of ditch the mask. It's quite hard getting people back into that habit. Um, so we lost that sort of momentum there. Tony, are you sort of, uh, you know, feeling sort of reasonably comfortable with that side of things at gigs? Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of a bit like Rachel in that until I get to the venue and then like, I kind of, I think I, you know, once I get in front of the audience, I forget all of the sort of trying to be safe and, you know, Dr. Showbiz kicks in and I kind of just like get caught up in the moment. And But I, I totally get what she's saying. It's We do seem to be in a kind of weird halfway kind of house at the moment. Audiences have come back, like Rachel says, like a lot of gigs I've played have been absolutely rammed and the audiences have been really up for it. When, when, when the gigs first came back, I thought we had a bit of a lovely honeymoon period where us as comics, I don't know if Rachel will agree with this, but I, I was rusty as anything, and yes. but audiences were quite forgiving, and you you could get away with like not being as quite as sharp as you probably could have done beforehand, and there was a lovely sort of I don't know a few months where audiences were just so happy to be out that you could afford to be perhaps not on your A game. That sounds terrible admission, but but you could have a bit of a mess around, and you can know I I messed up a few jokes and I stumbled over lines that I wouldn't normally do, and but I kind of the audience kind of quite like that in a way, I think. But I think we're kind of getting back to the point now where audiences are like, no, you, we've paid money now. You you need to be professional and be good at what you're doing and not messing about. Hard <laughs> agree. Yeah, a work in progress, kind of uh, a new material, which some people might look back on quite fondly. I don't know. But um, yeah, now that's interesting. Now, let's stay on. The, let's stay on the uh, on the comedy theme, but let's. Uh, cross over to sort of politics and comedy let's let's tackle it head on uh the issue in the room where are we where's your turn where's your uh well actually that is an eligible tweet there we go there we go here we go tony is this, okay, this is, i'm not really known for this but this is where i just threw a hand grenade into <laughs> <laughs> somewhat yes if you want to read that one out and then you can give us a little explainer yeah you want me to read it out yes yeah, so i'm worrying that if lenny Riefenstahl was producing a topical comedy show plenty of comedians would be happy to appear from it, on it and then probably where I went may have crossed the line slightly was the hashtag fash cash which I'd read I'd read somewhere else and thought was quite amusing um I'll so, uh, well I just I also just read Sajila's tweets uh, in in absentia so uh yeah, yeah. Sajila is one of the roster as it's, it's, it's well, all of GB I've news put, yeah 
bless her, Sajila. She encouraged me, obviously, as you'll see, to, to I know. do this because I probably I probably wouldn't have been cows by name, cow by nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, the story. The story behind this is, is GB News announcing their roster for the show headliners, which had been running. It's been running a while now with host uh, Dominic Frisbee and Simon Evans, both of whom have been on the show. And I have to say, I think I've had the vast majority of their roster on the show. Uh, <laughs> Ian Stone, Stephen Allen, Eric McElroy, so she is obviously the co-host, uh, Josh Howie. Uh, I'm doing it from memory now, but that's uh, uh, Nick we've not had on, but there's, there's quite a few people who have already been yeah. on. And there's obviously Sajilis, uh, the news story's come out now with the whole roster and Sajilis mentioned. So uh, as Sajilis tweeted here, very funny. Feel free to use this one of your tweets to discuss on LKT Zoom. I can't be there, so it won't be awkward for you. Generally, like to know your thoughts. Uh, as computers getting more of a bashing from the left than the right. Sorry to miss you. You're in good company. Have a good one. Um, it's it's is it, look. I tell you what. I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve just Rachel. Do you want to, well, Tony? Do you want to just sort of finish up on on this and then I'll get well, Rachel in? And but first of all, I'd just like to say I, I'm actually it's a bit of a shame Sajila's not here because I would have liked to hear her thoughts on it and um on facebook today actually i had a had a bit of a conversation with simon evans who um uh, i'd just like to say as well that a lot of the comics that have been picked uh, i respect as comics entirely and i think they're really fantastic comedians and i had a good chat on facebook with simon evans and he put some some views across and and we had quite a good chat about it um personally though i I, I think it's it's very difficult, isn't it? Especially the way things have been. Comedians have had their livelihoods kind of taken away from them by a pandemic, and it's been tough for really tough for a couple of years. Um, and we all probably do gigs for people or for companies. I've done corporates for companies that I might now look back on and think, oh, was that the best company to do a corporate for or whatever? And I know Michael McIntyre in the past, I think, turned down a, a well-paid gig for uh, a money loans company. Yeah, it, uh, weren't they, uh, I've heard this one as well, weren't they um, Bayless? Yeah, Bayless. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, uh, and it, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because it, it is a scale, but for me, GB News would, would just be, like it's up there with, I, I would hope that I would never work for the Daily Mail or the Sun. I, it's hard to avoid all of Murdoch's kind of outlets, I guess, if you want to be, uh, top comedian doing lots of tv and stuff but i like to think i'd try and avoid some of the ones that i see as the very um <laughs> i try, try to choose my words fairly carefully but like you know further off to the scale because i i genuinely i don't maybe i'm coming from a position of ignorance i've never watched gb news but obviously i've seen the kind of um the news stories about them and I, I tried to do a little bit of research actually today and looked into who funds them and where where they're coming from and I just disagree with with so much of, of the output on there. And obviously they put on people, uh, I'd love to even say their names, but you know, Farage has shows on there and Julia Hartley Brewer and people that I think in the past and even now are espousing really um, horrible, horrific viewpoints and saying really objectionable things. So I, personally, I would really struggle and obviously my my tweet was was a slightly tongue in cheek uh but was a bit of a worry about how far comedians are willing to go some comedians well probably a lot of us to be honest in a way are so keen to get our brand out there to be on, especially to be on tv i worry about where people draw the line and where it would be drawn 
Um, personally, as I say, I like to think that if in the unlikely event that GB News had ever come to me, I wouldn't, I would have turned them down. I would not have appeared on there. I mean, it's a tricky, it's a tricky one, um, really, in terms of who the who the paymasters are. I mean, I did just, you know, I did think of uh, immediately thought of RT and the long running show, mm-hmm. Sam Delaney's long running show, which has got you know, a number of comedians. I don't think there's a Venn diagram crossover from some of the comedians who were tweeting quite virulently, virulently about it. I mean, there were people who put their point of view in a way um, that was. Uh, well, yours is quite strongly put, but it, it is nuanced compared to some of the sea uh, bombs that were let off, and that actually turned a few, uh, you know, a few people off. Actually, having that sort of reaction didn't go down particularly well, and I, I personally felt there was an element of they really smoked out the, the tolerant left and in inverted commas. Quite honestly, there was a yeah. lot of that going on. Um, and by the way, I just mentioned Ian uh, Ian Stone, who's also been on the guest of the show. He's also on the roster. Yeah, um, fantastic comedian, and and I've 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 spoken to some people about who've put the view across that obviously, um, how can GB News or those sort of channels or media outlets be, like, more balanced, or how can their views be challenged or changed if we don't engage them like that? But I kind of, I feel like there's a certain level where it gets to where engaging with them doesn't challenge them, is not going to change the views or the viewers' views. All it does is legitimizes. Uh, them as a media outlet and, and legitimizes because they can then say oh well look we have a few lefty comedians on we have some balanced views we have a bit of debate but actually the whole ethos to my mind of the channel is to drag this country more to the right and to its right-wing propaganda to pull the country more towards their their right-wing views it's not aiming to be balanced and don't get me wrong the BBC and Sky and every other news channel has issues but I see this as 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 way off further the end of the scale than than the issues they're having, and I, I don't want to get sort of involved in what about or what about everyone else. GB News for me is kind of leading us in a horrible way, the similar way that Fox News did. I mean, I know they claim that they're not going to be the Fox News for Great Britain or the UK, but that's just the way I see it, really, um, as a propaganda exercise, and yeah. I think. And I think trying to pretend, not pretend, but trying to say that you can get on the inside and challenge them, I think is a bit of a, a, a misguided, whilst a good idea, I think a misguided idea, because I do think it just legitimises it more. Uh, so, Rachel, I'm sure you want to, to get in on this. Uh, what, how, how do you feel? I sort of feel similar to Tony, if I'm honest, and it's something I'm quite conscious about um, because I've had offers for things where I've thought, actually, they just want to say, but we've had a Jew on and like she was okay with having the conversation. And I really try and steer clear of of stuff where I think I'm coming as a poster child for something. And um, I'm not saying that is the case uh, in this instance um, just for kind of um, openness really Sajila is one of my very very close friends and we've discussed this at great length and in quite a lot of detail and I totally respect her decision and she's got all all the reasons why I would ever give it a second thought are the same reasons um, that she would say in terms of being um, an ameliorating voice and a challenging voice mm. and you know her intentions and I'm sure that's true for most of the people who I know who've gone on that panel but like as Tony said then there's a thing in the media in general at the moment about providing balance 
and the providing balance has got quite dangerous in my opinion because if let's say there's a conversation about assault and now you want to have not just a victim but you also want to have um a perpetrator to make things balanced that's not balanced that's like re uh re-victimizing somebody do you see what i mean mm. so and that's I'm, quite an unusual i'm not sure i i'm not sure that's I don't know if that's happened. I mean, it, that's yeah, well, really... it's happened with some of the debates around trans issues, for example, where they've had on um, pe- uh, they've had on trans men, trans women. Um, they've had people who are kind of allies and supporters, and then they've had people who are um, uh, well in every way the opposite of that, and who've carried out some very abusive behaviours towards trans people, and that's seen as providing balance. So that's my anxiety with things like this show, is this the gateway to uh, providing balance on other areas on GB News? And I agree with Tony what he says about like all the Murdoch papers, for example, Mm. because like Sajila, I do a lot of news reviewing on radio shows, including some of the same ones that she does. And... um, Whenever stories come up, if they're in one of those papers, I will search everywhere online to find the same story somewhere else rather than promote or retweet or share from one of those papers. Because I think everyone's got their lines. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. we've also a lot of us got families to feed, whatever. So if you feel that you can go into a situation where you might be doing some good and you might be expressing a more healthy view and it's helping to literally keep the roof over your head, which a lot of us have been in those very precarious positions the last uh, year and, and will be for some time to come, then I think it's hard to be too judgy about it. Yeah, and it's also, it's also the point where you are in this debate about legitimacy and the, the point that you've made, Tony, about uh, um, the balance legitimising the outlet overall, it's an interesting one. I can certainly see where you're coming from, except there is a tradition, of course, of all sorts of, uh, you know, newspapers particularly take on columnists whose um view world views are like uh, you know the, i think frankie boyle was a sun columnist yeah. uh suzanne moore was a columnist for the mail on sunday matthew norman was a columnist for the evening standard when that was more obviously in a particular well people always say the evening standards on on the right really but it, it shifted a little i think but uh you know so there is a tradition essentially is what i'm saying there's a count there is a counterweight tradition and i watched so when i watch gb news i will watch headliners uh, sometimes I also watch Andrew Doyle's show as well in isolation and you know I, I mean I did say so for example on Andrew Doyle's show recently Peter Tatchell and Ruth Dudley Edwards were on talking about statues and what you can do in terms of the historical legacy and it was it was a pretty exemplary debate of respect on both sides they'd really got they've really got the chemistry right on that I have to say um, in isolation you can I can live with it because I don't watch um I'm not around to watch half these things but I don't watch Farage or I you know I don't really watch Jubes and Co I mean half half of the uh the lineup of GB News obviously sounds like they're either sort of uh double acts or variety acts that the titles but um <laughs> I, you know and I generally don't because I mean some you know I'm not saying that there <laughs> there aren't people doing those shows that I might I might like I just don't catch those shows and I should think the weight of the editorial bias might kind of might be um might be a bit more nauseating to watch whereas with the with the news review with the headlines you know, as Ian Stone pointed out on Twitter as on his own feed that he gets to say what he wants and Sajila said this as well mm-hmm. they get to say what they do get to say what they want and she has had some 
you know really good feedback from viewers who were watching it and then that then you had to extend it out to all the guests who were invited to speak on other shows on GB News. So, so you yeah. know, I've seen Stella Creasy recently on a GB News show, and I'm you know, I'm sure there are other Labour MPs. I mean, they wouldn't be able to exist without some some balance. Um it's tricky. Um uh I mean one thing I'll say about your tweet, Tony, that had had the had GB News followed the vein of your tweet, they might not have had the technical problems at the start in terms of sound and lighting, but, uh, <laughs> you know. She's very, very talented. <laughs> not so helpful to my grandparents, but Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that's no, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, Julia not being here um, is, you know, it's a shame, but uh, she obviously gave us license to thrill on that one. So, uh, so it's really good, yeah, good to know. And I'd just like to echo Rachel as well. Sajid is actually a lovely person and a great comic as well. So, um, yeah, it's not sour grapes or anything. Or I, I hope realise that I, I like a lot of the people that are on it. Well, so your um, Facebook thread that you mentioned, because obviously we're friends as well, and I was reading it. Um, one thing I'd say is you're very respectful in how you speak to everyone on it. And so I think that was like a useful conversation with Simon yeah. Evans and whoever. I mean, I'll never be successful doing that. I need to change <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you see other people get very ranty or very personal and aggressive. But then I think that's when people switch off. So I, I yeah, thought that was very well handled. I, th I think one of the things is I, I don't proclaim to, to know all this stuff either. I, I And like I say, I had some very interesting chats on that Facebook thread that that I wouldn't say have necessarily changed my point of view or anything, but have given me other reasons to, to sort of another things to think about. So mm -hmm. it is. at the end of the day, I, I made, a, it was a bit of a knee jerk, uh, but I thought reasonably funny joke, sort of <laughs> like taking, you know, the comedic principle of taking everything to a huge exaggeration, is it? Or, I think it would have taken a lot of character to have sat on something like that and not and not tweeted it. <laughs> so I wouldn't have expected you. It was to. one of the ones though where I did tweet it and then thought, oh god, I wonder what's going to happen with this one. <laughs> I wonder how many people had to Google that name. That's true. Well, I had to Google how you spell it. <laughs> right. Let's uh, let's uh, let's have a look. Maybe we'll sort of. Uh, swing in another direction oh hang on yes let's do that let's get robin morgan bentley's tweet this was from you rachel this is a, the real light and shade moment here it is so uh, robin morgan bentley who's married to my cousin paulie um disclosure well i just you know like like to uh what's called be uh transparent but he does very interesting tweets for like getting involved in a long chat and uh, his one a couple of days ago was the book wizard comes to your door it says name one dead author any author to write one more book and it will land at your feet who do you pick and it was quite an interesting conversation with different people um and someone kind of came up with who i would have said c.s lewis writing one of another one in the original narnia series that would be very exciting for me but um i'd love another moomin book from and i'm never i'm going to murder how i say her name uh tova Janssen, who wrote all the moomin stories which i've loved since i was very little i think they're amazing they're so dark i think kids often really like quite dark stories See, I, I, I never read i never read the moomin books i'm afraid rachel but i saw the tv program and they really used to freak me out so yeah i'm not sure i can I could cope with that. 
this is like an amazing cat. I've got a mug not on me at the moment. I mean, yes, on me, but it's in that room. Um, and it's a character called the Groak who longs to kind of find warmth and friendship, but everywhere she goes, she's she freezes everything. Like, you know, everywhere she sits just freezes. You know, if she goes near a fire, it just goes out and everything. It's like such an interesting, dark and twisted mind. And uh, yeah, the Moomins were very interesting characters. All their, all their friends, all the subplots were quite complex. And I'm, uh, yeah, I love C.S. Lewis, but I think if I could have a new Moomins book, I'd be quite excited. The uh, Moomin store in Covent Garden would be very happy about that, wouldn't they? I think. Well, they yeah. would. I was actually in Finland gigging as one of my last gigs before the pandemic. And um, my one hope was I was going to get to Moominland. They've got like a whole theme park. <laughs> but sadly, yeah, I didn't have fine. time. I was very, very devastated. And I was like, I must come back. What, to do more gigs? No, Moominland. But I did get to the shop like in town, in Helsinki. So that was exciting. Oh, well done. So this, the gift shop is important. It is. <laughs> Tony, what, what about you? What, uh, what dead author would you resurrect? Oh, I'm to quick think about this. Like, um, I mean, I was a, always a huge Terry Pratchett fan, so it was obviously very sad when he passed away. Um, but I would have to say uh, he wrote so many books, he was so prolific, that there's probably at least a dozen of his books that I haven't read already, so... I could still keep reading his books, so maybe I'd go for Douglas Adams instead. Good choice. Oh God, good choice. Right, oh, very good choice. Many. Oh wow, yeah, I think that might have. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking Joseph Conrad just because of the secret agent and the sort of the general sort of, uh, you know, kind of international relations and all the rest of it might be interesting. But actually, I think Douglas Adams. Yeah. For me, actually, definitely. That's yeah, that's good. just one of those lovely sort of tweets that just punts out a really nice sort of concept that everyone can sort of pile in on pile in on on a good way the thing, the thing with Douglas Adams though is I'm not sure he was such a reluctant author wasn't he, he probably wouldn't want to come back <laughs> you might get a couple of lectures out of him actually <laughs> hopefully Definitely. Oh, can you imagine him on zoom very stressful <laughs> okay right let's we might let's have a look what have we got here we've certainly got uh oh I think Jack Monroe was brilliant um We've got, oh, I love that one. I don't know whether to save that one to last. We've got two political ones here. Let's let's go with uh, Charles William, who's uh, Charles Williams, who's at Random Ventures. Um, and again, Tony, if, well, if you don't have to read it out, I can read it out for you. But if you <laughs> I, want to read I went it out, really political with these, didn't I? Everyone was probably watching, thinking, "Oh, Tony will pick loads of really funny one-liners." I <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, do you want me to read it out? So, yeah, let's go uh, this is this this kind of tickled me and also kind of aligns with some things that I've been thinking. Um, so it says, I do sometimes wonder what this government likes about Britain because it's not checks notes, the BBC, the NHS, the National Trust, farmers, fishing communities, London, the Queen, the concept of fair play, the England football team, results dependent, or the rule of law. It's a nifty, so, that's a nifty list. That's like a BuzzFeed BuzzFeed list yeah. right there. But I do find it, yeah, so it, like I say, it aligns with my thoughts, really, that we, we have this government that claims to be um, so pro-British and, you know, Brexit and, and what a proud and great nation we are. And then when you look at a list like that of lots of the things that uh, we celebrate, and probably most of them were celebrated when we had the fantastic Olympics opening ceremony in 2012, and all these things that we actually love and consider very English and British and of the UK... And um, yeah, they're all things that the government seems to be at odds with um, at the moment or in recent times. 
It is interesting, and I think maybe a, a, a kind of a little um, feather in the wind of sort of a crisis of conservatism in a way, because actually, if you don't, if you're a conservative and you don't have more than just lip service to pay for for that list, then you know, are, you know, are you uh, you've drifted so far from your sort of baseline principles? I think, and I think that is the problem with you know, it's a new, very new young intake with a sort of an unscrupulous and directionless, it appears, leader. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's not to say that those institutions aren't having an identity crisis within themselves, but but yeah. there is there's an interesting drift. And, well, and well, shift I, I mean, I, I don't know. I would go to say, so far as to say, no, I don't think any of those institutions are 100% uh, perfect. They all have issues and problems, like you say, but they are some of the things that I think people would list if they said what makes them proud to be to be British. Mm -hmm. um, so it does seem quite odd that they uh, have become almost enemies of the state at one time or another. Yeah, Rachel, what do you think about that? I just think that that tweet is like succinctly sums up my my questions um, uh, you know that I think very often at the moment particularly over the business with the parties and all these other things and you just think I, I I can't rationalise someone going into politics, regardless of their political outlook. I'm going to assume that most people go into politics thinking that um, they want to make a difference, they want to make things better, whether I agree with um, what they mean by better or not. And these things are like so basically British, like my uh, grandparents were refugees and these were all the things they loved about being British, you know, like, um, and they respected so much. I don't know how they feel about the world that we're living in now. Um, every time I've watched, um, I'm not a very political person, or I haven't been, over the last few years, amazingly, become a lot more politicised. <laughs> and watching like PMQs and stuff, which is something I never thought I'd ever say that I did, this is like the list that's running through my head and it's been just put together so perfectly, really, depressingly well. Yeah, no, totally. I think, uh, so uh, Martin, who always leads the way in how to engage with this show, uh, says that list has shades of what, uh, what has Britain ever done for us. Yeah. And also said, uh, I think Ian Banks was uh, was Martin's choice oh, for the yeah, author, yeah, by the way. Yeah, good, good choice. Author. Good choice. Um, actually, well, let's stick with a sort of theme of crisis of conservatism, because you've picked uh, one here. So I think this is the first time that I've said Shappy's name as is Shaparak now, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's just it's still obviously interchangeable because the handle is Shappy. But um, uh, this is a tweet uh, from Shaparak there, uh, and a lovely tweet to Rachel. If you want to read it out, and we can talk more about Tories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because when I read that tweet, it was sort of the ground shook beneath my feet with recognition. I, a child of the 80s, have found myself thinking Thatcher would never have stood for this. You know it's bad when you start a sentence with at least Thatcher. And uh, I think as I, I, I tweeted back to, uh, to her and to Sean underneath, I don't know if you've got that there and can scroll down. Um, yeah, because yeah. I was literally had had that conversation that day in the car with my 16 year olds who we were listening to the news and they were going on and about, um, you know, um, Sue Gray and the inquiry and whatever. And it was that day where Boris sort of smirked about it when he was being asked. It was all so awful. And I literally said to him, you know, Thatcher would never. And then I, obviously I felt a bit of stick in my mouth. But also I felt it was true because as I put here, say what you like about the Iron Lady, but she was pretty good at sticking to her rules, whether we might quite rightly think about what those rules were. And uh, I, I wrote a few jokes about that as well. But then even as I wrote them, I thought, 
I never would have imagined in a million years I would be using her name in a positive <laughs> sentence. Um, but I don't know. I, I sort of somehow, we talked about which author would you bring back to write one more book? But in a way, I'd be really interested to hear her views. And I've never, again, a sentence I've never said, um, on her party and how it behaves now. Um, and I'm not saying I'd like her to come back and take charge because I think, you know, there's, there's wishes and wishes and uh, yeah, but I would be curious to know her opinion on um, the party that she made strong, albeit not in a way that made me very happy. Does that make sense? No, totally. I mean, she wasn't for turning. She made that no, very clear. She'd been, she'd been great on a smart motorway. But um... I, said, I said something about her dancing and not for turning, but yeah, same, same. same. Well, I mean, I know, no, they probably don't have quite the gravitas of Thatcher, but like it's been interesting in recent times that um, John Major and Ken Clark, I've been kind of agreeing with them a huge amount more than I thought I ever would. I see tweets yeah. from them occasionally come up on my um, timeline, and they, yeah, they they don't seem particularly impressed with a lot of the, the things that their party is doing and the way it's going. So. I mean, yeah. it's quite something, the shock for everyone. Like, I love uh, comedy writer Sean Harris, you know, and her, her comment that she finds herself thinking at least Thatcher was, like, once a week and her father or worked down the mines with Nye Bevan <laughs> and was with, worked with Nye Bevan. You know, like, I, I think it's... Um, I assume, I don't know, maybe I'm not right to assume that, but a lot of people now into real left-wing, liberal, you know, type of personalities. So it's it's almost quite horrifying to hear these. It's like when you first have your own kids and you hear your parents' voice coming out of your mouth when you <laughs> tell them off or something. That's that's what this feels like a little bit to me. Yeah, my well, I, I my party line is uh, I make it as uh, nebulous as possible. I used the quote from Buffy these magics are unstable. That's basically the, the only credo I believe in, I think. But uh, I do, uh, I don't mean, it obviously makes watching chaos interesting, but there gets a point when actually it's not chaos, it's, it's just incompetence as well. And that's that's where we are here talking about, well, at least, you know, at least so-and-so was a leader. And, and you know, the Americans and we as well had an, our first shot of that, I think with Trump, when we suddenly thought, oh my God, wasn't Bush Jr. fantastic? <laughs> it was quite a lot of that going on you know which is quite a scary thought i'm not sure if we get i think even even reagan came off uh sort of better in that you know because he you know he was doing a job and he was actually the work the work was actually quite important you know that's just work ethic personal work ethic as well she just would have eaten boris for breakfast on that score well, there's no doubt about it i mean it. yeah you always got the the impression that Thatcher kind of knew what was going on and knew what she was doing and would actually make decisions. Whereas Boris seems to obviously leave decisions till the last possible moment when there is no decision left to make. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it doesn't strike you as being the most competent person and knows what's going on in, in any regard of uh, political or national life or whatever. I mean, when you can't identify whether you're at a party or not, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to um, understand the intricacies of uh, the, the Northern Ireland peace process, for instance. Or... I think it's also about honesty and dishonesty, because I think there were horrible politicians in the past who were openly horrible or had, you know, views that I find abhorrent. 
but they weren't, you know, hiding them or, you know, pussyfooting around them. They just were like that, which in a way is quite Trumpish, I guess. Yeah. Whereas what we've got now is we've got people who were like just actively dishonest and uh, which is the same with the... Um, with the the Jack Momo uh, tweets which I sent you, um, because it's a, there's like a culture of dishonesty that I find really dis- depressing actually, and it, it feeds into all different areas of life, including um, taxation um, and the way that people with the least are expected to kind of suffer the most in these in these circumstances by things being done in an underhand way. I yeah. think it's incredibly depressing. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm very conscious of getting to the uh, the Jack Munro tweets, actually, uh, which is in a minute. So was, uh, Martin's just added a W was less worse, which is the George Bush assessment. That's fair enough. And there's a decent case for career politicians now. Yeah, that's true. I just wouldn't want them all to be councillors, quite honestly, personally. <laughs> but there you go. Maybe that's just me. Uh, let's go to, uh, well, this is kind of the last word on this, uh, Tony, was the tweet that you'd selected which was uh, Rory um it was Alan White uh, so former new statesman is now politics home isn't he and uh he has uh this is a little section here on uh, Rory Stewart I think he said this hasn't he let's let's get yeah. Alan I thought it was a brilliant it. evisceration of Boris yeah should we read that out do you want to read that one out or yeah sure um so yeah this is obviously Rory Stewart is he an ex-MP or is he still an MP? Uh, so uh, he ex-MP now, yeah. Yeah, but obviously was a Conservative MP and did was a leadership contender, wasn't he? That's right. That's um, right. So anyway, he, he's written that Boris Johnson is a terrible Prime Minister and a worse human being, but he is not a monster newly strung from a rent between this world and the next. 20 years have passed since the Conservative Party first selected him as a candidate. Michael Howard and David Cameron made him a shadow minister and Theresa May gave him the foreign office. 30 years of celebrity made him famous for his mendacity, indifference to detail, poor administration and inveterate betrayal of every personal commitment. Yet knowing this, the majority of Conservative MPs and party members still voted for him to be Prime Minister. He is not therefore an aberration, but a product of a system that will continue to produce terrible politicians long after he is gone. It's like some. It's like a great. That's like a gravestone sort of moment, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, It'd be a big gravestone. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> You'd have to write it. You could go on a grain of a rice or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's that's pretty succinct, really, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if anyone wants. Yeah, I don't know what I can really add. To add to that. I know <laughs> it's, it's one of those kind of uh, mic drop moments. I think. Yeah. Well, um, Rachel, yes, you mentioned Jack Monroe's uh, tweet. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a thread of the week, this, so it's good that you chose it. Now, let's see. The first, yeah, so this is the, uh, if we go sort of read the beginning one and then we can read the one that you specifically highlighted. Right. Um, woke up this morning to the radio talking about the cost of living rising a further 5%. Infuriates me the index that they use for this calculation, which grossly underestimates, underestimates sorry, the real cost of inflation as it happens to people with the least. Allow me to briefly explain. And then it's the most incredible thread where she unpacks um, different prices on the cheapest foods that people have to spend money on um, who are struggling financially at a time where we've got more people struggling financially than ever before um 
the price of pasta, the price of this. And then I just selected as an example, um, this time last year, the cheapest rice at the same supermarket was 45p for a kilogram bag. Today, it's a pound for 500 grams. That's a 344% price increase as it hits the poorest and most vulnerable households. And um, she does the most amazing work. I mean, I'd, I'd vote her into Parliament any day of the week. Um, I, I actually think it, um, Jack might go with non-binary pronouns. If that's the case, then I'm sorry, um, saying she. But um, I think um, Jack does the most incredible work in pointing out to people what it's like to live with very little and um, not just live, but to survive. And I think... Um, we had a period of our lives when things were very very tough and we were really struggling and i remember being in a supermarket my oldest son was very 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 young and i had 13 pence left from our money to spend on vegetables and weighing up like different carrots different whatever to try and make that 13 pence go as far as it could and we lived like that for a period of time and it was really hard i think that's something a lot of people don't realize can happen to anybody you know your circumstances can change very suddenly um you find yourself with um 32p to last a day to feed three of you um you have uh, uh jack gives amazing examples in um in their work about you know sucking on stock cubes because that like makes you feel full or putting them into tap water to dilute them so that at least you feel you've had some nutrition so that the food can go to your child um i really recommend people to read that thread um i think it's a it's an incredibly mm. valuable lesson and uh, mentions as well the idea of uh, some packaging has been made smaller while the price has either remained the same or gone a little bit up or a little bit down so you don't realize that you're actually paying you know a huge percentage more i think mushrooms is mentioned in the thread that the price went down by 2p but the package is actually what's in the package is half or something i think it's about half the amount that you were buying before so actually it's gone up a huge amount in money but you don't in a way that you won't notice it and the real kind of shocker um is ready meals so that's further down in um in jack monroe's thread um about how um talking about the price of ready meals you know which were seven pound fifty i think it might be quite near the bottom yeah. um there you go there that go. um yeah if uh upmarket ready meal range was seven pound fifty uh, 10 years ago and it's still £7.50 today um, or a high-end store's dine-in two for £10 which has still been £10 for as long as I can remember um, my, and then if you go a bit further down um, Jack actually has uh, changed it so here we go to return to the luxury ready meal example if the price of that had, ris had risen at the same rate as the cheapest rice in a supermarket the £7.50 lasagna would now cost £25.80 and dine-in for £10 would be £34.40. We're either all in this together or we aren't. Spoiler, we aren't. And I think that is a huge, huge indictment of the way that um, this country is now treating the people who need the most support. I have finished my political statement. <laughs> I do feel very strongly about it. You know, having, having sat in those shoes, um, mm. thankfully, um, not for that long, um, that really resonated with me. Very tangible. I mean, you couldn't get more tangible, really, than, than charting rises like that. It's like that's that was how elections were won in a, in a shopping bag, you know, about the, the pound in your pocket and what's in your shopping basket and all the rest yeah. of it. So this is obviously the way to go. And it's 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 quite shocking. Tony, have you seen have you already seen the, the thread? Yeah, I saw this and I thought it was brilliant. And I, I think Rachel 
says the actual kind of mic drop moment was this calculation here where they say how much a, the sort of higher end food would cost if it had gone up in line with the, the obviously the cheapest food and I think that's amazing on a on a slightly more trivial uh, note but on a similar subject I was joking with another comedian the other day about how um, when I go to fill up my car now I'm we're basically paying motorway service prices at regular petrol stations mm -hmm. Uh, whereas we were traveling, I'd be traveling back from a gig and I'd be literally trying to coast home on fumes because I didn't want to pay for petrol at uh, uh, motorway services because it was a good 20p more expensive than your Tesco or your BP or whatever your local petrol station was. And yet now we're paying those prices, not just on the fuel, but on if you buy any snacks as well. They're all kind of the price of everything has gone up to that level that I previously would have like gone, oh, no, I can do without that bag of crisps. Yeah. because it's that's a ridiculous price but that's what we're paying at a, on a general level now and that's happened within a within a year or less than a year um so Absolutely. yeah prices are, are going up like for whatever reason um and as rachel says and jack there has pointed out it's it's not going up in the same way uh the the, the lower value stuff is going up a lot more than the higher value mm -hmm. uh, inflation isn't the same across the board I, I do wonder where this is going. Like, sorry to just go off on a slight no, tangent. I, I have a weird, I've tried to study into capitalism and economics a bit better. And I do wonder where we're going with this because it's my understanding is that for, for rich people to be rich, they need poor people to be able to afford to buy things. And um, if poor people can't buy things, or when I say poor people, I mean poorer than obviously the, the very rich people, um, then the rich people can't, really be rich because they can't sell things to the poor people so it's kind of for capitalism to survive i think it's kind of surely it's inherent in the really super rich people to give some money to the poor so they can afford to keep buying the stuff that the rich people have companies that produce yeah and and you know there's a similar argument in terms of of rents it's like if your disposal income is basically uh you know spent on your rent and more mortgage whatever it might be your situation but it, you know where's your disposable income to sort of uh you know eat out to help out or other phrases are available mm. that kind of thing yeah there was also um and this uh, happened even when you know 20 something years ago when i was in that position is that people will say things like we'll get a meter and they don't realize that meters actually are proportionately more expensive uh, for yeah. your electricity or gas whatever or why don't you just bulk buy but bulk buying depends on having the money to lay yeah. out in the first place and um yeah i don't know i wonder if this is part i don't want to be all conspiracy theory-ish um again like something i never was at all before this all happened um but i wonder if it's so that somebody can swoop in and then say oh now we're going to reduce all these things and we're going to you know it'll make them eminently electable won't it if they can say we're going to bring back you know the rice to 50 pence so that people can afford it and it's also oh, that no. uh, <laughs> different uh the different um packaging and everything like the own brands but it's all the same stuff like it is very possible to make it to make things cheap and affordable it's um for for those kind of products but yeah i think it's all this you you have to eat well why don't you just buy some organic food or whatever it's yeah yeah, very misleading. I, I think it all ties in uh, again. I don't think this is necessarily conspiracy, but I do think it all ties into um, making the big companies. I mean, you only have to look at who's profited during the pandemic. All the big supermarkets, 
uh, all the delivery online delivery firms and everything have made huge profits haven't they so yeah. it's this is all a, a way of um making people buy much more stuff from your big multinationals and not so much from your small little stores. So it's another thing that's just driving a nail in, into smaller businesses mm -hmm. because one, one, larger businesses have the economies of scale that they can make these things a bit cheaper. Yeah. See, one thing you have just reminded me of is that Jack Monroe wrote a piece for The Observer today and in it um, she quotes, uh, Jack, I'm not sure what the pronouns, I'm sorry, Jack quotes, um that um iceland have said that essentially they are losing trade to um uh food banks and 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 so on and, and he's not not saying it that uh, the, the chief executive wasn't saying that in kind of like a he was using it as, as a way of measuring where people are going and that sort of play you know that's obviously your point of like well the system doesn't work until, unless people have got money to afford well, yeah. go to places proportionately, like proportionately the poor spend more of their income than the rich so if you yeah. want if you want people if you want to sell lots of you only have to look at the, the biggest companies in the world what the biggest car manufacturer in the world i don't know who it is but it's not um ferrari or porsche it's not the people that make the high-end cars it's, it's probably toyota or someone that makes the cheaper cars that people can can buy if you want to make a lot of money doing something, you don't sell to the super rich, you sell to, to everyone, you sell to the poor and the middle class. It's interesting, yeah. a teacher friend of mine um, said to me last week, experienced teacher, um, uh, that she regularly needs to use her local food bank at the end of the month to survive with her kids in her home. Hmm. That's yeah. where we are, we all know nurses and whatever. It's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's not a great situation. No. I've got to say that the prospect of uh, single issue parties campaigning on individual foodstuffs is such a great thing of a people's popular rice party. Go the rice party, party, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we love rice, uh, though. Yeah. But, well, you know, that's true. Uh, Toyosa, Martin says, is, uh, is, the, is the car, the top car one. Oh, now, probably was Toyota, yeah. Thank you. Uh, we've got two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I know what it's just about got. Right, there's two more tweets to go, and then we've actually uh, finished the allocation, which is good. Don't always get to do that on time. So let's go with uh, Have I Got Pews for You, uh, Rachel? And then, Tony, your last tweet I've saved. Um, I think I've, I can't remember what I've done with it, but I could not access it in this. And Rachel said that she couldn't access it either, but I found oh, it and I screenshotted yeah. it. So, oh, right okay. Let, let's go with I hope the pews. Got the full majesty of it. <laughs> I, I think just about, yeah. Uh, so have I got pews for you is a gig that I'm doing on uh, Tuesday I think and they are very um, prolific tweeters and fun to engage with and uh, they tweeted today I've just seen an ad that disturbs me greatly I wonder if it's wrong uh, if it's me that's wrong sorry why put butter on a sausage sandwich for a start there's enough fat involved and then you must have sauce on it anyway brown but I know some oddballs have red no need for moisteners <laughs> and um that is the kind of political tweet that i want to engage with if i'm honest you know this uh, this, this will be the one we get hate mail for <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's true definitely and people have very strong feelings i think about sandwiches probably more than they care definitely. about politics or poverty or whatever else um but yeah with sandwiches and um 
yeah, I engaged in that debate because it's about food, so I'm interested. <laughs> but I feel like the butter, the role of the butter is to prevent the bread from getting soggy, like when you put your sauce on it. So unless you were going to like cook your sausage and then rub it over the butter and then add everything, I think I think that's the role of the butter. I should say I'm kosher, so I don't have butter and sausage in the same context but that was my it considered a bit and I have to I gave it more thought than you'd imagine yeah. before responding to it but yeah that's why I think the butter's for see I, I, I'm, I'm a similar similar I'm similar to you Rachel but I would say it slightly differently I would for me uh, a sandwich the the bread is the the least interesting part of the sandwich mm. it's just the conduit for everything else so yeah butter's lovely and so are sausages and so is brown sauces they've said they're quite rightly so <laughs> the bread is just there to provide a, a, a something to contain the other bits so you definitely need butter butter's way better than bread if you if, I... there was, if butter was in a if you could slice butter in a form that was like a slice of bread well you wouldn't have the bread you'd have the butter. <laughs> <laughs> greasy hands but i went to um i won't say which but one of their diet clubs a number of years ago um and our instructor was very much like matt lucas's character in little britain um you know talking about dust and whatever in the way that um she suggested we reduce things and one of the suggestions was when you make a sandwich um instead of buttering both pieces of bread just butter one like then it's like 50 percent of the calories <laughs> that was like how you reduce it almost like reducing a gateway drug um, but I just like minimizing it just have you know what just have uh just have a, a lower alcohol wine instead did, of having your they, vodka today did they suggest that you cut it with something else you know half butter half like margarine oh, or something like. <laughs> they didn't but they did say I remember they they said specifically what is more fattening everybody is it putting butter on hot toast or butter on cold toast and the answer was it's more fattening to put it on hot toast because more soaks in you'll use more but that was a genuine conversation that we had so um i've been thinking about butter and how it relates to bread in quite a lot of depth <laughs> i mean that's a pretty controversial statement Tony. i have to say no uh, no but no bread but have the butter what, what martin said arguably hot sausage will melt the butter and make the bread wetter but i, I mean it's just put me in mind of um God, what was it? Nationwide. Old enough to remember Nationwide with Sue Lawley, and there was uh, there was a guest on once talking about healthy eating, and there was a big. Um, there's always been a big to do with butter and margarine, and, and uh, Sue Lawley asked the, the guest, "Well, what do you put on your toast?" And he said, "Well, I put a very thin layer of butter," and it's like, "Well, that is margarine outed, isn't it?" We all know we can say no to margarine now because the health the healthy man on TV said no. Although I do I do use some kind of plant-based spread now i have to say yeah to come to it which apparently there is a school of thought that actually you need those you need those fats mm. uh so i don't know uh, i maybe we'll get the sort well, of the pile but isn't on. butter one of those foodstuffs that that so that one minute is going to kill you and then the next minute is what we should all be eating and then oh yeah all i think it's i think it's a, a quantitative conversation yeah. like if as you're suggesting we have like sausages between two slabs of butter that's probably <laughs> can i just you. say i'm not recommending a sausage <laughs> between two massive blocks of butter uh i just want to say yeah Oh, I, that. I was just worried. I do think that no need for moisteners is going to be someone's a strap line for an advert somewhere. I mean, it might not necessarily be for who. See, yeah. that that would that doesn't work for me because I I'm a big fan of sauces and and I like moist moisteners on all food. I like sauces, chutneys, pickles, 
that like anything that makes it more moist is good well, with me. I, I hear what you're saying. Well, I fully went into the conversation with them, by the way, and carried on. Um, and I told them that now when I make um, burgers, I do them on like a griddle pan because I think that is, um, yeah, you know, delicious for the burger. But also as a side point, you can um, toast your, your buns, your bun halves <laughs> on the griddle pan and it can suck up all the fat. And it does the job of the butter with no butter needed. Um, and you can add ketchup to your heart's content on top of that. So yeah. that's my recommendation for anyone who's watching. Cooking tips as well, fantastic. I'm salivating. Got everything, yeah. <laughs> I know, I think I'm gonna Cooking tips, yeah. nip off for a snack. Now I've Listen, managed- you invite a Jewish mother on your show, that's what you're gonna get. So I have managed to retrieve your uh, tweet. I can't, the, the name of the tweet- It's missing the bottom bit though. Uh, is it? Yeah, there's, there's, there's I thought a little that bit was, of I thought that was it. I thought that whole. Oh right. Well, the the image. Yeah, you've got most of it. Hang on. Most, it. most of the goose is taking up most of it, obviously. Um, yeah. I can't remember who's tweeted, but they protect their tweets, and it was vis it was visible at one point, and then it suddenly became invisible, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, it's um. Okay. Yeah, it's um. I don't know. I don't know if there's a word whether I hold it up to the screen. But uh, well, let's. Uh, if you can, you DM it to the Let's Kill Twitter account or something like it, that. I'll just show this because that's what it oh, should say at the bottom. Goots. Yeah, that's right. That's the bit that's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Um, and it, uh, the handle it was from was was Croy Alma. Croy Alma. C R O I X and then A L M E R. So thank yeah. you, Croy Croy Alma. If I'm saying that anywhere near correctly, but, um, yeah, no, this was one that my uh, my partner Willow just sent to me and made me laugh. So, uh, so it basically says I made an algorithm look at a thousand memes on Twitter and then produce its own, and this is what I got. And then I'm shaking and crying. 2022 is just beginning. I can't do this. This can't be how this can't be how 2022 begins. And then it's the picture of the really fat goose with goose <laughs> on it which apparently <laughs> was around this was around in 2014 but the meme has become really popular early this year um well that i have to be honest that all passed me by here probably the kids know all about it but passed me by well, there's a, just... this, i discovered a, by accident after a site with like some kind of meme history and it was explaining <laughs> that the fat goose was on some kind of Flickr account in 2014 but the goose <laughs> The Goots meme, I think, has only sort of just started early this year. So this shows how much I've got my finger on the pulse. <laughs> it's like something I, that was big in 2014. I didn't see the Goots bit because I only had the bit that Julian sent me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it means. It's just fat. It's it. just fat goose. Isn't right. Hang on. I think that's partly the point, though, isn't it? That yeah. if Twitter like is trying to analyze memes and trying to produce an uber meme out of it right. it's gonna be a bit weird and not make any sense yeah i mean that goose it needs to only have butter on one side yeah, of the <laughs> yeah exactly uh i mean this is kind of slightly there's something slightly sinister in the fact that this is uh algorithm the tweet with the um i'm shaking and crying there's an awful lot of mental health angst in that uh in that sort of uh, tweet isn't there yeah. really it's got to be said but i mean it is january <laughs> it's like i could totally understand it's very relatable 
And there's, I love those things where people say I fed, uh, you know, thousands, whatever's into Twitter. Um, there's a brilliant one. I'll see if I can find the link and I'll, I'll tag you on it, um, which is, um, I think, uh, Christmas rom-coms. They fed however many Christmas rom-coms <laughs> into, uh, not into, twin, into Twitter, but on, into some program on the internet to kind of do what, what would the internet produce as its own version. And it yeah. is very much like a lot of the actual films in a in a weird way <laughs> yeah this show's going to be done by an algorithm at some point actually in fact i might hand, <laughs> hand that over next week um we've we've done it i think we've come to the end unless anyone can think I've, I've missed, we've done everyone's tweets and uh thanks so much because obviously tonight uh our loss was gb news is gained but uh, uh <laughs> will obviously be back um before i sort of uh, wrap up and uh, and everything else uh guys what, what do you want to plug uh rachel i saw you put a in fact i might get it up on screen actually uh you put a tweet out earlier with your engagements for this week ah do you know what i was just so excited to have engagements for this week at all <laughs> like, it's been a long yeah. while since i've never say i'm doing stuff there you go, there we uh, go. So right. it, it did it, it's literally what i said right at the beginning. it felt like the before times you know, when we still had gigs most nights. So uh, you can see yourselves front and centre at the top. But yeah, I'm. Uh, um, have I got pews for you? Which I kept reading, by the way, in their ad as have I got Jews for you? Which for a gig in a church, I found quite surprising. <laughs> and uh, the mixer in Hertfordshire, Funny Women on uh, Saturday night. And then Sunday, I'm on the Sunny and Shea show on BBC uh, London. So that's my busy week. But if you want to find out what I'm up to, you can see it's rachelkrieger.com. Uh, you find me on the socials at Rachel Krieger. Um, and also my podcast, Jew Talking to Me, which uh, with fellow comedian Philip Simon. We're just recording the fourth series of that at the moment, but all the back episodes and everything are all available. So you can find us on Twitter as well, at Jew Talking without the G. Excellent stuff. Tony? Well, I wish uh, I was as organised as Rachel. I'm very <laughs> Um, I mean, it's only because I've had literally nothing to do for weeks, Tony, otherwise it wouldn't be like that. Yeah, well done, but I'm not that good at my admin. Um, yeah, just follow me on Twitter and I'll try and um, put a list of uh, gigs that I've got coming up. I'm one of those terrible comedians who, who doesn't know any of my gigs that I've got coming up unless it's the one I'm doing that night. I know what I'm doing and I'm not doing, I was doing this obviously tonight, so I'm not gigging this evening in a venue. So I have no idea what I'm doing tomorrow or the rest of the week. So, so, so follow me on, on Twitter, yeah, at Tony Cowards and have a look and I'll try and publicise what I'm up to. Um, Fantastic stuff. Yeah, follow me on there. I do sometimes put jokes on there. And also um, having my male midlife crisis, you might find me putting pictures of little tanks and things that I've been building as well. So so if, if that's of any interest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Well, we keep, I, I'm, I'm happy to get uh, members of the tank community as followers. <laughs> Everyone is welcome, definitely. Um, thanks so much. Uh, um, brilliant uh, selection tweets. Just hang back momentarily in the green room after the stream so I can uh, say proper proper thanks. Um, so, yeah, let's let's just do a bit of roundup admin. Uh, everyone's handles have been uh, scrolling across on our ticker uh, that the guests can't see but we've been broadcasting the ticker at the top of the screens it's got Rachel's handle and Tony's handle and obviously all our details which I mentioned at the top of the show please do uh, hit subscribe on YouTube that would be fantastic and follow us on our account at LKT Zoom we won't be doing show next week we're kind of preparing for our first adventure in real life which is going to be at the Bill Murray in Islington in London uh, that's on Sunday, the 6th of February, between 4.30 and 6.30. It's two hours because we're in a double bill with comic-solving problems. 
that's Eric McElroy and Steve N. Allen. And uh, so we're really looking forward to that. First time we've, we've gone live. Uh, our special guest for that night is uh, Rialina. And uh, you can get tickets from the Angel Comedy website, of course. And uh, I think that's pretty much everything for, for now. So uh, all that remains uh, for everyone in unison is to uh, wave goodbye and thank our streamers for watching and uh, wave goodbye until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Please do check out the other podcasts in the series. If you go to our website, www.letskilltwitter.com, you'll find all our previous shows listed and you can find links to the YouTube versions as well as audio files. If you'd like to support our work, you can do via buymeacoffee.com. If you go to their website, you'll find a Let's Kill Twitter page set up for donations. But anything you can do is much appreciated. A like, a follow, a recommendation to a friend, it all counts. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope to be in your ears again very soon.